the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 272 for Wednesday, July 7th, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab here from very sunny and very warm Durham, New Hampshire. I am Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun, also uh, very... Uh, yeah, we, we got heat warnings and air quality warnings and a uh, great day to be inside next to the AC. I was going to say, and, and I believe you are pretty much right next to the AC there, John, if uh, if we can see yes, your I am. view. Mm-hmm. And I said we can see your view. We are, this is, uh, we are trying the experiment again. So this show uh, was broadcast live video on Ustream and the Ustream for this show will be... Uh, available as an archive too so from time to time you may hear us uh refer to the chat room but uh but we do always uh, either remember or attempt to remember that uh, there are of course far more of you out there listening audio only so we will keep that in mind and explain anything and and promise not to uh just come up with a reference out of nowhere although we do that anyway but uh you know we'll mm-hmm. we'll, we'll keep it uh we'll keep that down to a minimum all right. Uh, you, you know, let's jump right in and go to uh, go to Chris. Does that sound good, John? This is very timely, especially in light of the. Uh, I know. I know. Weather conditions. Yep. So uh, Chris writes. Chris in uh, Ohio with a perplexing problem that began after a recent power outage during a thunderstorm. My Mac mini seems to think the Ethernet cable is unplugged, though it is most certainly plugged in. My wireless connection on the Mac mini works fine. And while it's nice to at least have some form of an Internet connection, I'd still like to get the Ethernet working again. Having been a family tech support for 20 years, I can usually solve most computer problems. But I must concede to you guys uh, for your greater geekdom on this one. I have my late 2008 Intel Mac mini connected to a Linksys WRT160N wireless router, which is in turn connected to my cable cable modem. Here are the steps that I have taken so far. I've checked for a bad Ethernet cable and ruled that out. Uh, I took the Mac Mini out of the equation by plugging its Ethernet cable into the MacBook Pro. Worked fine. Swapped the cables. Worked fine. I uh, felt this eliminated the doubt. Number two, plug the Mac Mini directly into the cable modem with both Ethernet cables. No change. It still showed unplugged. Number three, plug the Mac Mini, plug the MacBook Pro directly into the cable modem with both Ethernet cables. It connected both fine with both cables. Therefore, uh, yes, we've proven the cables work, and we've also proven that the port on the router is good. Now, I've checked DNS settings. I've reset the PRAM and power management on the Mac Mini. And I upgraded the Mac Mini to Snow Leopard. It was previously on Leopard. So uh, that's good troubleshooting, Chris. I, I think, in fact, that's that's uh, that's excellent troubleshooting, if you ask me. And unfortunately, John, I, I think it leaves but one option left, and that is a favorite topic of ours, which is, mm-hmm. huh, lightning, oh. power short, uh, or well, power that's your short. favorite topic. I, I have yet in my, my lifetime. Favorite. No, it's not. But but yeah, you seem to be more prone to it than I am. I, I, I've never had a piece of uh, electronics uh, suffer from a lightning strike, which means, of course, that lightning's going to hit the house. That's right. Any minute now. That's right. Well, I've had three lightning strikes here at the, at this particular house. And and yeah, you, you know, you and, and I'll we'll post a link to the article that I wrote 
uh, I know we talked about it on a bunch of the shows, but I also posted an article, I think last year, where I pretty much detailed my experience and then also the advice that uh, that I would come up with, which which really is uh, get not only UPS units, which protect against surges and brownouts, which are those short little outages that uh, that can really, really cause trouble. But uh, in the UPS is a battery backed up surge protector is essentially what that is, though. That's an oversimplification of the uh, of the product. But in addition to that, you want to get Ethernet surge protectors and uh, telephone surge protectors. If you've got those connected up uh, and then uh, uh, coax surge protector for your line coming in, if you have a cable modem uh, and Sometimes the UPS unit will be able to do one or all three of those. Sometimes you'll have to get separate units to do that. But but that's the problem. And that's what you've got here, Chris. In fact, the, the situation you describe could very well have been with the Mac Mini plugged into a surge protector or even a UPS. But lightning is always going to go for the quickest path to ground, which if it can't go through the surge protector is going to go through um, Ethernet uh, or any any sort of DC uh, power power uh, DC run power DC power. What am I trying to say here, John? Yeah, anything that runs <laughs> DC power, which would be your Ethernet port, and uh, and yeah, my my guess is the port's fried. Unfortunately, on that machine, of course, I think that means the motherboard, and that can get pretty pricey. So, yeah. Um, the things that I would offer additional things to try yep. though, his uh, troubleshooting was, was pretty darn thorough. Yes. Um, I've seen this sometime uh, though. I'm with you. I, I believe it's been zapped. Um, one thing you may want to try is if you go into uh, system preferences and network, um, click on ethernet, delete it. <clears throat> there'll be a little minus sign and try to add it again. Oh yeah. I've seen this work for some odd problems. Um, yeah. it, it, it certainly can't hurt to try it. Uh, another thing is if you go into the terminal, there is a command ifconfig space dash a, I believe it is, which will show you the status of all the uh, interfaces that are defined. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing it may not even show up or it's going to say that it's down. And then the last thing that occurs to me in Apple, I, I'm not sure about the current minis or the past minis. Uh, I know this is true on the time capsule, but there's usually some sort of light. Usually I think Apple just has like one light, a little green light. Right. I may want to see if that's lit up. I'm betting that it's not. I bet I bet that it's, or, or it may be, but the port is still shot. But, yeah. but I've seen that most Apple equipment, uh, a lot of equipment, I see that there's two lights. Usually there's a green light, which indicates, yeah, the port's okay. And then like a yellow light that shows activity. So um, uh, again, I'm not sure if the mini has uh, one or both of those. <sighs> but yeah, I think it's shot in which case uh, he, he's done all he can to, to try to track yeah. it down. Yeah. As a, uh, as Coder Kev in the, Chat room for our Ustream chat suggested uh, Apple Care, of course, is the uh, is the first step because they will take care of it. If uh, if, in fact, you have Apple Care, I, I got an email back from Chris. I'd actually su suggested that. And unfortunately, he said, no, he, he did not have Apple Care. The other thing I suggested is homeowners insurance. They are there to cover things like this. Now, depending on your plan, it may be subject to your deductible. And mm -hmm. if it's subject to your deductible, Probably not worth it, depending on what your deductible is. I mean, if you got a, you know, if you got a low deductible, a couple hundred bucks, eh, maybe sure, might as well. You're paying for it, but uh, but you know, if you keep your deductible high, a thousand bucks or whatever, then obviously you're much better off going it on your own and not filing a claim. So, 
So it's very sad. Now, even though this was not, you know, the fault of the machine, I think, yeah, as long as you maybe feign ignorance, I think Apple Care may take care of it. Just say, yep, yeah, port stop working. Port stop working. Yeah, no, they're they're pretty cool about that. They, um, I think I had, I think it was a port on my time capsule that that was fried by lightning, and they were like, yeah, no problem. So, okay, all right, on to another uh, d- dead piece of hardware. Uh, we'll see what Brian has to say. Hi, John and Dave. This is Brian in Philadelphia. Uh, I have an old iMac G5. Uh, I think John has one like, I like did. mine. It's a ambient light sensor unit, 17-inch. But anyway, it died this past New Year's Day after working perfectly up until then. Uh, I've since replaced the machine, but I was wondering about trying to repair it for my wife, who uses an even older iMac. But it's 100% for email and web surfing, and that's it. Now, when this G5 failed, it gave no symptom or sign. It just refused to start at all. It was plugged into a UPS, by the way. So I'm thinking that power surge or something might not be that likely. Anyway, I finally found an Apple support document. It's called Article HT. 2173, which gave an excellent troubleshooting exercise uh, for this exact issue. By the way, I'm not afraid to operate on these babies, uh, having replaced the hard drive in this machine and the optical drive myself on this unit. Uh, yes, I do have Torx screwdrivers. Uh, anyway, the troubleshooting uh, trouble procedure worked. Uh, It it involved opening up the iMac and checking four LEDs internally inside with the power connected. In short, it says that if LED number one is not lit with the power connected, then according to Apple, the power supply needs to be replaced. So that's going to cost maybe 150 bucks. And again, I'm not afraid to do it. But here's my question. In, In your opinion, and believe me, I'm just looking for an educated opinion. What are the chances that the power supply just failed and that the logic board is probably still okay versus uh, if the logic board was fried uh, normally when the uh, power supply uh, went out? Uh, are those two things intrinsically uh, related? Uh, or is it worth a $150 gamble to replace the power supply and just see if the bugger will come back to life? That's my question. Um, if you could just give me, again, an educated opinion about what you think the chances are that that attempted repair might be worthwhile doing, I'd appreciate it. Here's where you cut me off. And so we shall. Uh, yeah, okay, so so Brian went out of his way to ensure that he wasn't going to come screaming and yelling at us that, uh, that our whatever advice we give uh, is wrong if it turns out to be wrong. Uh, but, John, you know, relating this to the previous question, you know, he said it died on New Year's Day um, and sounded like if there was some sort of storm, uh, he would have mentioned that he seemed to be that sort of a guy who was very thorough in his uh, in mm-hmm. his description. So being that it was New Year's Day and in most uh, areas of the country, I don't know where he was from or but uh, but I think he's in the U.S. And in most areas of the country, New Year's Day isn't exactly known for its lightning storms. Right. As far as I know. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I'm going to guess that his power supply simply died. And that happens. In fact, I I was the one that had that iMac G5 and I had my power supply die exactly like he's talking about. One day it just it had turned off 
and it wouldn't turn back on. And uh, I'd forgotten about that knowledge base article that talks about those uh, those those status lights on the motherboard. That's actually pretty cool. But um, but there there you go. So I I think he's I, I think he's totally fine. Uh, you know, making the gamble. If he's comfortable putting in a new power supply, then yeah, go buy one and and pop it in. I think it. Uh, I think he got you know eighty percent plus. That that's going to be the uh, the answer. Yeah, and, uh, and to uh, so where you get that because I actually found this one here to to remind everybody. Uh, most of the support articles that we talk about, if we say it's HT whatever, so he said it was HT twenty one seventy three, right? Uh, usually get to that support.apple.com slash KB, which I'm going to guess is knowledge base slash, and then the article that we mentioned. So that's the the part that we uh, sometimes leave out because uh, it's usually the same, right? But um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I'm hoping that the mother. I, I mean. It, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to say if he could actually tell the motherboard was damaged, uh, short of you know, you know, seeing you know, either smelling that terrible you know burnt electronic smell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I think now I'm not sure if any of the other lights went on. You know, that would that would lead me to believe that. Um, well, I guess that first light that's probably detecting some sort of you know trickle current or whatever coming out of the supply, and if that's off, then right. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm sure you can get one of those either from Apple or I don't know if they have a flat rate plan or, um, you know, you well, could, you could get it through my fix it or, or something. Yeah, like that. exactly. I think, I think there's cheaper places than Apple to, to buy those. So mm-hmm. cool. All right. Uh, let's talk about our first sponsor, John, which is smile on my Mac. And this time we're talking about text expander, which is oh so easy to talk about because it's so cool. So the idea behind text expander is you, Probably uh, like me have all these snippets uh, of text that you wind up typing regularly. It might just be your name. It might be your phone number. It might be a full signature. It might be your address. You know, for example, uh, you know, we, we get uh, sometimes I have to send my address and John's address in the same email to people. You know, if they're going to send us, uh, you know, uh, something, whatever. And and so instead of having to go and open up address book and, you know, f- remember what John's address is, let alone manually type it out. I have a, uh, a little snippet. And so what I do with text expander, I have, and it's, it runs system wide. I type comma J B A D D and wherever my cursor is, boom, John's address is formatted and looks great. Uh, I do the same thing for mine, even though I know my address, I just don't want to type it. Same thing with phone numbers. Like I said, signatures, all that stuff. I have, you know, my office number, it's 0603 and bam, my, my phone number's out. It doesn't save me a ton of keystrokes, but it's not so bad. Um, and, and the cool thing is, so you, you can run this on your Mac, uh, 35 bucks, but of course you can go download a free trial at uh, smileonmymac.com. In addition, they have an iPhone and iPad app and it, it is, it's in full glory on the iPad. I think it's 10 bucks. Yeah, no, five bucks. It's five bucks uh, on the app store. And the cool thing is, A, two cool things. One, you can sync it with your Mac so that you have all the same snippets there that you have on your Mac or a subset of them. I think you can pick which, uh, you know, which groups you want to you want to sync. The other cool thing is apps can use it, even though apps aren't supposed to be able to talk to each other on the iPhone and all that stuff. Text Expander did some magic where you have their app on your iPhone or iPad and or your iPod touch. And you sync your snippets and then other apps like Twiddlator is one of them. Uh, I think Simple Notes, another it uh, totally works, you know, the same snippets and you sync them once with the, with the smile on my Mac app 
and uh and that's it 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 works with everything so uh and, and it is simple notes one of them there's a whole big long list of them there's like 30 now uh it's cool stuff so anyway that's smile on my mac.com text expander and text expander touch and with that john let's move on to uh to jack shall we we shall okay so uh jack writes I was wondering if you could help with a persistent problem with my MacBook Pro on Snow Leopard 10.64. For some time now, my MacBook Pro has not been able to update any third-party software through the look for update features within the running software. The only way I've been able to do it has been to go to the manufacturer's website and download the software from there. In, they then install as if it was a first-time install. It was so much easier to update from within the software, and some manufacturer sites don't have the immediate access to downloadable disk files or disk image files, uh, making it that much harder to keep up with current releases. I did fix permissions from the Snow Leopard DVD, but that did not help. I also have some software that will not install at all, like Neat Receipts for Mac scanner software. A piece of hopefully helpful information is this started after I upgraded from 1061 to 1062, now on 1064. When I originally bought this MacBook Pro mid last year from a third party, I used Migration Assistant to add my previous MacBook Pro's applications and files, and all went fine, or at least appeared to. So there's a couple different paths to head down with this one here, John. The, the path I headed down, and I'm not, in reading his question, I'm actually thinking. This may not be it, but but it's worth stating because I've seen it on others is a permissions issue. Yes, I know he repaired permissions, but all that happens when you repair permissions is certain items. Permissions are set to what Apple believes they should be set to. And those are right. Uh, I, I haven't ever seen Apple, you know, get it wrong, per se. But Apple does not have parameters set for third party apps, so it doesn't touch their permissions. If their permissions are wrong, they will stay that way. Um, and I've seen the, uh, a problem similar to what Jack describes when doing um, when I have a machine with multiple users. If, for example, multiple users that are admins so that can add things to the applications folder. If, for example, on on this machine, if Lisa installs something like an update to QuickBooks, right, uh, then that update is actually owned by the user Lisa. If I try to update that, it will not let me. Uh, if I try to delete it, I have to authenticate, right? Or if I even if I try to overwrite it, I have to authenticate. And you can check this out by going to uh, the app in question and doing a get info on it. Uh, Apple apps will always or should always be owned by system and have read write privileges for uh, for the the owner and then both we the group and everyone have read privileges. But for third party apps, they're always owned by the user that installed them. So it's possible that Jack had with this migration from the old one uh, may have had, you know, one user that's not active, but, you know, owns most or, or all of the apps. Uh, so that that's that's one thing. And it's certainly worth checking out the, the applications folder itself. That should be. Uh, system uh, read write admin read write and everyone read only uh, in terms of its permissions and I believe repairing permissions will set it that way that's the the system wide applications folder but John you had I don't know if you got any thoughts on what I was just talking about but but I know you no. have some thoughts on your own too yeah sometimes <laughs> <laughs> so 
So here we go. So here's another thing. And actually, yeah. I think this is relevant. So, so you and I were, were tossing this around, wondering if it was relevant or not. And I think it is. I think it is. So, um, so the thing is software update. And now the, this was the caveat. I thought it was only software. You and I thought it was only software update. But not just software update, but a lot of programs. Now, you, you may have seen this directory. Um, if you go to your top level, library receipts. Okay. Now, if you look into receipts, now receipts is definitely where software update looks to right. keep track of what, what has been installed and versions and all that. But looking right here, and that this is why I, I changed my, uh, so, so first I thought it was just software update that looks in there and just Apple software, but it's not. Like, for example, on my G5 here, just before I started the show, Adobe Reader came up and said, hey, you know, there's, a, there's an update. Um, you want me to apply it? And I'm looking in my receipts folder, and gee, you know what the very latest package is in here? Adobe Reader 930 underscore en underscore us underscore ppc.pkg. Okay. So what I'm going to suggest is that there may be a problem with the receipts folder, and that if, if whatever you're running, and, and you know, Adobe Reader is certainly not a piece of Apple software, though I think they're using it. So I think anything that uses the Apple installer framework uh, will put something in the receipts folder, keep track of what's been happening. Right. My question with that, though, is I don't I don't think any of the third party update engines rely on that information. Right. I think they're because he's talking about updating from within the app. I think they're looking at the app itself. I don't think they're looking at the receipts folder because a lot of these apps don't have. I I understand. But I'm going to say, for example, Adobe Reader is certainly not an Apple application. And I believe they have a feature within the app that says, hey, check for an update. Right. So that's right. So I'm going to say it's a possible place. Yeah, it could and, be. And, yeah. And as you suggested, um, maybe the permissions on that are not right. And whatever's trying to look in there can't. And so it's concluding, well, there's nothing for me to update. Sure. Um, and I'm going to look right now, get info. So I think similar to the other things. So system has read, write, admin has read, write, and everyone has read only. On your applications folder to, itself? To the receipts directory. Oh, okay. Yep. Same as the apps folder. Okay. Okay. All right. So to me, that's, right. that's one possible issue now, the other I, don't, thing that I, I don't think anything you and i have mentioned is his issue though but i think what you're about to mention is yes now there are also um like one very popular package that i've seen a lot of pieces of software use for updates is called sparkle um and what this does and i know this because i'm using um or at least i like using um little snitch uh, right. which can get to be a kind of a pain in the neck because anytime and uh, so Sparkle is a framework that allows people to embed software update abilities, uh, not Apple software update, but just the ability to phone home and say, hey, is there a new version of me? Oh, there is. OK, I'm going to download it. And it's usually pretty cool because a lot of times it'll download it and then actually re- install and restart the app. So so it's pretty fluid and pretty nice. But right. what has to happen in this case? And actually, this is well, this is the same thing with the Apple stuff is if the network port that it uses is somehow blocked with something like little snitch or your firewall or i mean most of the almost all of these things that i've seen use port 80 or port 443 to go out and say hey is there something new for me so you may have uh, either a firewall or little snitch or something that for whatever reason is blocking this network access in which case you're never going to know there are updates because it's never going to be able able to get out Okay, but if you're going to talk about little snitch, then I'm going to do something uh, which I will do mm-hmm. do both virtually and physically uh, for you know those people that are in the video room. But I am going to shake my fist at for you it. for using little snitch. Uh, if uh, it, this is a classic example of why I think that 99 percent of the people out there shouldn't be using this software, I agree. 
but, you know, it because it, it gets in the way and you don't necessarily know that it's in the way. At some point, you, mm-hmm. you know, an app, the first time it launched, it says, I want to phone home. And you said, well, this, this app is going to like, you know, draw pictures on my screen. Right. I don't need to phone home. So to heck with right. that. And you turn it off. And then, uh, you know, four months later, you've got this problem. But here's here's the thing. So now I'm going to refute everything I've said, John, mm-hmm. because if the uh, it sounds like and I'm inferring here from Jack's email, but it sounds like he knows that the updates there, which means the app has phoned home and tried to install the update, but then failed, which brings us back to mm-hmm. the application file permissions that uh, that I started with. So it's all full circle. Now, the, the one last thing, and I've noticed this sometimes also uh, yeah. with Apple and others um, the update is not necessarily available via a network um, update, but it is available if you explicitly go to the site. I, I think I've sure. seen this with Apple sometimes. Yeah. Because the problem is this causes a big dog pile on their, on their network servers, and for whatever reason, if they're not prepared for the traffic, they may want you to explicitly go to a web page to get it. So I, I've seen cases where it's appeared as an explicit download before it's appeared on a software update type uh, network server. So sometimes you may want to wait a day or so Right. Uh, b- before you know that it's out there, before you actually use the network-based one to, to check for it. So, and, and yeah, I'm with you on Little Snitch. The, the one place where it does get in the way is with these routine, I would say, you know, tasks that, that are not a big security risk, like yeah. updating your software. Yeah. So, I, on the other yeah. hand, I, I just like to see what my software is doing and who it's talking to. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing is it is kind of cool, right? To, to see what, uh, what your software is doing and, and that's cool. The problem is when you forget about it. Right. And and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're troubleshooting around it and not realizing that, oh, hey, wait, there's this thing that's totally getting in the way. So. Yeah. And actually, I think the majority of people in the chat room uh, um, said little snitch rocks. So, well, one person said that. So one one person. did. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Despite the fact that the chat room is not huge, uh, that does not constitute a majority. I'll just leave it at that. Well, it's one versus zero. So to me, that's a clear majority. Well, um, yeah. (laughs) One is greater than zero. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, that's true. That's true. Okay. Anyways, (laughs) moving on. I'm I'm totally with you. You you may want to try a little snitch. Give it a whirl. They have a trial. Um, You you may find it too intrusive. And yes, it can get in the way because we had questions in the past where it was the problem. It was blocking some access and the person had forgotten that they defined it. Because the problem is you can define rules forever. And if you define a restrictive rule like that forever, um, you may never figure out that that, that's what's causing your your grief. So I'm, I'm with you. Cool. All right. Let's see what Peter has to say. Hi, John and Dave. This is Peter from Wisconsin. Um, called a few weeks, probably two or three months back, about uh, network issues at a church. Uh, realized that the reason why the network was screwing up was not because of cable length or anything else. Um, it was because of the fact that there are seven computers connected to a five-port switch. Uh, yeah, have your little laugh at that. And then um, uh, recently they upgraded one of the computers from Windows XP to Windows 7. Uh, and I, the uh, the Mac they're working on, suddenly lost all contact with a network shared printer that was on that XP machine. Um, turns out that the uh, computer, the network is now set up as a Windows 7 home network. Uh, really not sure why, but I guess you know some questions are better la- better left unasked. Uh, just had an idea as to how to uh, find that printer again. Wanted to run by you and see if it would actually work. Um, 
using Bonjour, uh, as far as I know, Windows 7 Home Network is a proprietary format for Windows only. At least that's what everything I'm reading about is telling me. Um, just wanted to know if installing, say, iTunes or Safari on that computer uh, and bringing Bonjour along with it would allow me to access that printer. Um, uh, hope to hear from you guys soon. Here's where you cut me off. All right, hang on. Let me, uh, hey, I got him. I cut him off. All right. Uh, you got the, uh, did you, did you uncube? Uh, okay. I uncubed us. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Cube, go yeah. Go ahead. So you, you, you've got some, you've got some thoughts on this one, John, or do you, you want me to. I do. I mean, I do. So okay. it, it sounded to me like here's what he was doing. So, so uh, I had to listen a couple of times, but, but help me out here. Dave. Yep. I believe what he's doing is that he has a printer. Now it's a, it, it, he said network shared printer. And I don't know if uh, I think what he's doing is this printer is either an Ethernet or maybe a USB printer. And similar to the Mac, Windows XP or Windows 7, if you have a printer plugged in, can share it with others over the network. Is that your understanding of what's happening here? Yeah, well, no. I'm not entirely convinced that's what's okay. happening. It's either Because I thought he said network shared printer is connected to the computer. Yeah, which means that the compute, the printer is connected via the network, not via a USB cable. Okay, that that was not See, clear to me. Yeah, I'm not, and I don't. I, it could go either way. It could be either way. But the good news is that it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, as long as Windows can see the printer, it can then share it uh, in its own in its own way. So, I mean, the the, the question that I have, and yeah, I actually found an article here that that uh, you know that's called "Share Files and Printers Between Windows Seven and Windows XP," which goes through the steps that you go through to share a printer with others. Um, uh, I guess my question is. Yeah, is this printer plugged directly into the router if it is in fact a US uh, uh, Ethernet printer? Because I don't know, I've I've never been comfortable with plugging a printer into a computer and then sharing from the computer or using the computer to offer print print sharing services. I've always de- depended on the printer itself to do it, assuming that the printer has the capability. Yeah, I don't know. I, I it, it's. Uh it let's assume for the for the sake of argument here that it's connected to the connected to the windows machine via usb it, it really doesn't matter uh and we'll assume that it can't go back to to the mac right it can't connect directly to the mac it can't connect directly to the network we have to share it from this uh from this windows machine mm-hmm. all right so with that uh i think it's you know system preferences Right. Print and facts. I, I don't think it's going to show up in a bonjour uh, window. Right. It, it's going to you're going to have to go and manually map the printer, which is system preferences, uh, print and facts, and then add the printer and then move over to the windows uh, section. Mm. It may show up there. In fact, hopefully it will. Um, I, I, you know, I don't I don't have a magic answer beyond that. No, I think the well, I think the other thing he mentioned, um, I don't know if the printer has Bonjour abilities, uh, but to do that, you have to install Bonjour for Windows. Right, right. That's another solution. But, but it sounds like Windows 7 is the, the uh, that's why I'm suspecting it, it, it may be a, a, uh, something connected to the computer. And then I don't see any reason why if you upgraded a computer on the network that all of a sudden a printer that's not connected to the computer would disappear. So, right. Who knows what Windows 7 is doing? Actually, the other thing that I've seen, here's another one, is sometimes I've seen this uh, more with file sharing on Windows. Um, 
the firewall may uh, some sort of firewall may have engaged on on the computer. Yep. And all of a sudden, anybody who shared anything with that computer all of a sudden cannot do that. Um, and I think the article that I found, I think, goes into a little detail how, about how you could. Well, I don't know if you necessarily want to disable the firewall, but you may be able to open a hole so that the print sharing right uh, will be made available to anybody who used to be sharing a printer that was connected to that computer. So that's that's another thought. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, that. If anybody out there has any ideas, please uh, please feel free to share them. Any uh, anything else to add on this one, John? <laughs> nope. No. Okay. Moving on to moving on to Ed. Okay. You know, actually, we're not going to go to Ed next. We we just had a, a the, the same well the same symptoms on UStream that we've seen in the past, but it it's a good opportunity to talk about network troubleshooting. So the the issue was bandwidth that I was sending out. Uh, from here was not consistently getting to Ustream and and people couldn't see or hear us. So I paused the show and, you know, there was no reason to go through that because of course it's not relevant to the, uh, to the listeners. So we paused it and tried to deal with it. But, uh, but the network troubleshooting that we went through for this is very interesting. And so what I did was my, you know, my network is set up that I have my computers connected to a router, connected to the cable modem, connected to the internet. Right. So there's two tools that I use. One's called Traceroute and one's called Ping. Ping tells me if I can get an answer from any given server. Mm. Uh, right, John? So. Ah, uh, yes. That's an, I believe, an ICMP right. message. It's one of these low level messages where, yeah, every, every, every piece of equipment along the way. Right. Should. Yeah. It's a, it's a way to, to get someone. And, and it, usually I, I think sometimes some people filter it. But for the most part, it's a message that says, hey, are you there? And if you're there, could you please, you know, respond to me? Right. Right. So uh, so the first thing I did was I started a ping of Mac Observer. And all I did was go to the uh, go to the terminal, type ping space Mac dot com. Enter. And it just starts rolling. Uh, some Unixes have a default limit to the amount of pings. Uh, Mac OS 10s does not. It, it will ping and ping and ping every second until you hit control C to stop it. So now I see, OK, yep, every, you know, 15th ping, I'm missing one, which means that there's some packet loss out there. And that, of course, is uh, non-desirable and indicative of this problem. So I then went and ran a speed test uh, at speedtest.net. And it, uh, you know, the downstream was OK. The, the upstream was was terrible. So I knew, oh, OK, we're having this problem. So that's when I paused the, uh, the show. Actually, that was after I paused the show. Uh, then I did a trace route for me to MacObserver.com. Uh, and to do that, it's the same uh, syntax as the ping. Uh, it's you type trace route, all one word space MacObserver.com. And it start. It gives you a whole long list of all the computers or routers, rather, between you and MacObserver.com. The one you may not, in fact, probably won't see, is your cable modem. You'll probably see your router in your in your in your house, uh, and then you'll see all the stuff that your ISP has. But you won't necessarily see your cable modem. I like uh, when I'm doing this. I like to open up another terminal window and ping my cable modem. And the cable modem is almost always at the same IP address, which is 192.168.100.1. And I get these two windows up next to each other. So I see pings to Mac Observer in one window, pings to my cable modem in the other. If I see breaks in the pings to Mac Observer, 
but no breaks to the cable modem, then I know that the problem is outside my network and not inside my network. Does that sound, uh, does that sound right, John? That does sound right. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, let me, let me try this, uh, ping one, nine, two, so, so then, then I take a look at the trace route. And Ooh, I, I look and that, at the, and that's good too because you're going to see very to differentiate between the ping of the cable modem and the ping of something like an echo observer. At least what I observed, right? Pinging my cable modem was on the order. So the so the things you'll see when you do the ping. One, it'll show you the size, which in this case is 64 bytes, which I think is the default. The other is the IP address. Then it's going to show a sequence number, which should increase sequentially. Right. TTL, which I think is time to live, which is the number of things the ping packet will go through before it gets thrown away. I think that's what that's for. And then it shows time. Like, for example, to my cable modem, it was on the order of between one and two milliseconds, which I would expect because it's sitting right here. Right. Mac right. Observer, which I considered normal when I tried it or I just tried it recently, Dave, yeah. was on the order of about 20 milliseconds, yeah. which, which to me sounds reasonable. I, th- I think what you got to start worrying is when these value, values, at least for things that should be close by, start to get into the hundreds or thousands of right. milliseconds. Then something somewhere is, is, is causing a problem. It's not right. Go on. That's right. No, that's right. So then what I do is I look at the trace route and I look at one of the ones early in the trace route. Uh, I try to pick the one that's just past my router being the first of Comcast's routers that I'm going to start messing with, you know? And so I start pinging that and I try to see where in that process I'm getting packet loss. I know I'm getting it at the end, I know I'm not getting it at the beginning. So where's the problem? And if it's right at Comcast router, it previous issues that I had were right at the first router of Comcast, which told us that there was something wrong at the node or between me and the node. Um, that's not happening right now. Uh, so the issue is, you know, ne- internet congestion, presumably something to do with Comcast connecting out to the, the rest of the world, but it's not a problem to my neighborhood. It's not a problem with my cable modem. And, and it, you know, it didn't take very long. It's a, you know, a couple of minutes to, to diagnose that and figure it out if I wanted to. Uh, and if I had the time, I could get on with, you know, Comcast, a customer service. I'd like to do it on the web with their live chat, but, uh, but I'm not going to do that right now. Cause I have a lot going on and, and we're podcasting. So we're just going to, uh, we're just going to live with it. But, uh, but it seems to have gotten better, but, but that's, that's one way of troubleshooting to see really where the, where along the chain, your, your problem, if you're having one uh, is, and that packet loss can, can be a, a great indicator of, of where that problem is. Not always though, because some routers don't reply, reply, reliably because they're busy passing traffic and so you've got to you've got to kind of get a baseline and figure that out first so mm-hmm. any, any, we had some good co- no we had some good comments in the room here so network utility which is in utilities folder yep is a nice gooey uh way of uh os 10 letting you do this that's right and then mr haycock oh, he's talking about arp i think that gets a little advanced yeah we'll here. skip arp address resolution protocol but, but that, that that'll be for another time that's right that's right. But uh, now, now you said you did the speed test also, Dave. What, what, what happened there? Oh, so I, I, I did two speed tests. I, I did mm-hmm. speedtest.net and then I also did speedtest.comcast.net. And the speed test that I did at speedtest.net uh, showed a very, very, very slow upstream. Uh, then I did one at comcast.net and it showed a very fast upstream. But then I did it again at speedtest.net because it was right about the time the problem was getting better. Uh, so I'm not sure if if that was telling me anything valuable, to be honest with you, at that point. But that's that's one thing I do is is try you know the out the outer world speed test and the the, the 
you know, inside the network Comcast speed test to see what's going on. Now, one more thing. All right. So British Kev said this in the chat room, which, yep. uh, and I think you could do this with machines as well. I don't recall exactly where on OS 10 you do this, yep. but there is a way to put your machine in, in uh, what they call stealth mode. Okay. Which I think it, one of the things it does is it, it will not respond to things like pings because pings could be a prelude to an attack, or at least some people may consider that. Sure. So, 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 you know, some of the early attacks that people, you know, so what they do is they hop on a network and then they would do a, a ping sweep or, you know, they, they ping all the addresses they knew about on the network. And anybody that responded, they'd be like, oh, look, there's a machine I can attack. Well, if you don't respond to a ping, then that would eliminate that method of trying to find who's, uh, you know, who's out there. Sure. And, and I've seen this sometimes, too. Like sometimes trace route, you'll, you'll get some things that you'll get stars, which I, I think are machines that are not responding so one right. of the hops that are taken, the machine doesn't respond, but then the more past that does. So, right, right, okay, All good right. point. So now, now we can move we? on to Ed, right? Ah, excellent, good. Okay, okay. So Ed writes for a company that makes some powerful software, Adobe sure seems to cause us a lot of grief too. I recently started having beach balls on my Mac Pro, and looking in the console, I found. Uh, something referring to error loading slash library slash scripting edition slash Adobe unit types dot OSAX. And then a whole bunch of other stuff ending with no matching architecture in a universal wrapper. Uh, I did a little research and did not come up with anything useful and Adobe provides no customer service that I could find. I'm mm. all up to date uh, for both OS 10 and Adobe Creative Suite 3. Any help would be appreciated. Okay. So, uh, John, for this one, I did some searching and I really, I just took the, uh, the error loading and, uh, you know, part of his error message and searched for it. And I found a couple of forum posts that eventually mm. linked me to an Adobe article where people said they had this problem and that this thing solved it. And sure enough, uh, it's it. The issue is in this uh, Adobe Adobe unit types dot OSAX means it's an open scripting edition or an Apple script edition. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is also given away by the folder that it's in, which is library scripting editions. Mm -hmm. As we've talked about, Snow Leopard introduces a lot more 64 bit functionality. Uh, the kernel is not by default 64, but but many components of the OS are. And apparently the thing that monitors and manages scripting editions is 64 bit. The one installed with CS3, even with the latest updater, does not have 64 bit support. So that's uh, presumably the error that that Ed's seeing. And that's why Adobe released this alpha or beta version of this scripting edition. And, and the, the the article on the Web indicates how to uh, how to take, you know, what you're about to download and replace the old one with it and, and do all this happy. Ha ha. So 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 that's the issue in, in Ed's case. But okay. you, you did some research about this sort of in general, right, John? Well, I'll, I'll add a little something here because I have seen a similar error. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess the thing to mention is that no matching architecture. And no, we're not talking architecture as in buildings. When we're talking architecture, we're talking about the architecture of the processor. And, and I think you're talking, and, and, you, and you nailed it, Dave, is that you're talking, I think, three major ones that you're going to have on any Mac. You're going to have a 64-bit Intel a 32-bit Intel, and a PowerPC. Okay. Um, now, I've actually seen this, but but I think the problem... Is, so I was speculating it may be that it was looking for a PowerPC version and Rosetta wasn't installed, but I, I don't think that was right. 
Right, right. So I but think that, you may see a similar error message if, if you have an app that's trying to run some PowerPC code. Um, yep. But what I did find is that I actually, now I don't know if, if you know this, Dave, but I've actually been running for, for whatever stupid reason. No, it's just because I like to live on the edge. Yeah. My MacBook Pro, I'm running in full 64-bit mode. You are, huh? And I've been running that for several months because Wait the thing is you, you... I didn't think our MacBook Pros could do it. Oh, ho, ho. yes, they can. Well, oh. you got to get, there's a little thing called 32-bit or 64-bit. The, the thing is, our machines are capable of running a 64-bit kernel. They do not by default. Right. Right. You can get this little add-on that will force it to run the 64-bit kernel. Okay. And there are some, and the benefits of this are, the thing, I just wanted to do it. Just Sure. Uh, the thing is, you, you, you may be able to realize speed increases by running 64-bit versus right. 32-bit. The problem is, um, as I think we discussed in a prior show, is that not all components of the OS, this is the danger, not all components of, of uh, you know, especially kernel extensions and things, may have 64-bit versions, in which case they will not work. Now, the only things that I've seen on this machine where this comes up is I think when I start it up and I look on the console, it tries to load the analog modem driver. And mm. I do not believe there's a 64-bit. So I'm out of luck if I want to use my modem Right. Because it looks like it cannot find a kernel extension for slash dev slash modem. That that's the gist of the message that I get. But other than that, everything that I've tried to run on this machine, Dave, has has run fine, uh, booting into a sixty four bit kernel. So, uh, so again, whenever you see something about architecture, it's it's either uh, I think with the, the the most recent machines, it's in all likelihood a thirty two bit Intel versus sixty four bit Intel issue, right. or possibly. You don't have Rosetta, and it can't run the PowerPC code. Right, right. Now that makes sense. Yep. But yeah, I'm I'm a good Google foo there that you uh, you found that or or Adobe foo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, well, it was no, it was Google foo. It it was just you know happened to put exactly the right terms into the uh, into the search window window there. So, all right, our second sponsor for this show, and we do appreciate all of our sponsors, is Circus Ponies at circusponies.com with notebook version. 3.0. Now, notebook, the idea behind this is, well, it's a notebook, except it's virtual. You run it on your Mac, and when you launch the app, you see a white-lined notebook interface in front of you. Yeah, now, you can, uh, if, you, if you want, you could draw in there, but you can type in there, and that's the idea. As you start typing, you can build it hierarchically. You can uh, then start to pull in other resources you can pull in pdfs you can pull in pictures you can pull in audio files in fact we had one listener who would uh start a new notebook for each mac geek gab episode pull in the audio file so that he had it as an archive and then start going through and putting links in any notes that he wanted to take and really using it as a resource now you could also do this for a class you were taking. It doesn't have to be a geek cab, even though that's it's kind of like an education here. Right. But uh, but if you're taking a class at school or if you've got to go from some education at the office, you know, this is a perfect way to do this. And then you can if there's PDF resources, you can pull those in and you can mark those up too. then when you're done, you can go and search and search throughout your entire notebook. And if you remember when you put something in, well, you can search by that. If you remember what you put in, you can search by that. If you tagged it with a keyword, you can search by that. So really the idea is you kind of dump your information in here. And then when you need to go find it, you look for the parts that you remember. And that's notebook, circusponies.com. Of course, you can download a free trial once you're hooked or within 30 days. 
It's forty nine ninety five. Uh, and then there are bulk discounts if you want a family discount, which gives you a three user license, ninety nine ninety five, and uh, definitely worth checking out. Circusponies.com. And with that, should we go on to uh, wh- wh- who's next, John? You you pick them. I want to make sure we do these two follow ups at the end, so we probably have time for two more, one maybe two more in the questions, and then those two follow ups at the end. So pick it. You know, I kind of um, how about Kevin? The one at the end there. Kevin. Yeah. All right. Good, good. I like that one. Okay. All right. So Kevin writes, recently, my father-in-law has participated in the World War II honor flights. Uh, The local news station, which is very cool, actually. Uh, The local news station covered the welcome home as well as he was a recipient of a pass it on feature segment for his volunteer work at the VA hospital. We have seen both web-based videos, but I cannot seem to find a way to capture them like I have from other flash-based downloads. While digital is forever, storage space is not. Therefore, I know that someday they will be off the news sites, lost to that great bit bucket in the ether. I would appreciate any advice you might have in achieving the goal of preserving these events for his grandchildren and beyond. So, yeah, some web-based, like YouTube, has a way of downloading Flash video, right? Uh, And some other web engines have a way of doing this, but... Uh, not everything does. And there's a couple of ways. Now I, I like yours better, John, because it's, it's more pure. So you go first. All right. So what I did is I've seen this. So, so the thing Safari is, a, uh, here's my recommendation. I'm just going to spit it out. Spit it I'm out. I'm going to spit because that'd be gross. Um, <laughs> please Firefox. So Firefox on, uh, on the Mac. One nice thing about Firefox is that it offers a whole boatload of add-ons. Okay. And I've looked into this before. So what I did is I got into Firefox. I went to, I think it's the window menu, add-ons, get add-ons, and I searched for Flash. They have a little, you know, little thing with tabs, and, and, and you say, uh, get add-ons, and right. it'll allow you for, to insert a search term. So I searched for Flash. And then it came up with a few things. None of them looked really familiar, but it had a little thing on the bottom that say, see all results, and there were 10 of them. So I clicked on that, and then it opened a web page, and they had one called... What a surprise. Download flash and video. Hmm. So basically at that point, then you can say, okay, install this plugin. And what happens then is that um, it'll place a little icon in the lower right hand corner of the uh, current Firefox window. And then whenever, so this is the magic of what this add in does. Whenever it detects that there's flash video available that it can, it can grab for you. Yep. It'll then put a little, uh, one of those little movie uh, uh, cue uh, uh, movie scene markers, yeah, those yeah, things, you know, yeah. that they all, they always click. So, so it's smart enough to, I think, look at the HTML of the page or, or whatever and say, Oh, there's some flash video. And all of a sudden what happens is this little movie scene marker appears. Well, then if you click on that, it'll say, Hey, you want to download this video? Cause normally a lot of times I think people will use flash because one of the things it doesn't make it easy to do is to download the video. It, sure. it, it's, I think, in a lot of cases, when you only want people to view it and not save it later. Fortunately, what this plugin did, and I verified this with one of the pages that he sent me, is as soon as I said download video, you know, the only caveat is what happened is this particular site had about four different pieces of Flash video. It had a lead-in for, I think, the station showing it, then it had an ad, then it had something else, so and then up, it had... So it's up to you to sift through whatever the options are at that point, right? Right. So okay. at that point, I picked the last one, because I picked the last one. I'm like, well, that's probably the video that he wants. And I clicked on that, and it said downloading, so it started grabbing it. Um, and then when I looked at the end result, it was a .mp4 file. I double-clicked on it. 
brought it up in QuickTime, played it at the same quality level that I saw it play on the web page using the uh, the Flash plugin. So cool. for portability, I think uh, now I don't know if there's any special plugin that I have in my QuickTime installation. I'm going to assume that it just wrote it out as an MP4 file and that there's no dependence on Flash. Ah, okay. Well, okay. So I've got a couple things to add to that. First, and uh, I'm looking this up because it's uh, it's important. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's so Perian at Perian.org, P-E-R-I-A-N.org is, well, their name is the best. It's the Swiss Army Knife for QuickTime plugins. So if you install, you just go and you install this on your Mac, and then it adds a whole boatload of plugins that will allow you to uh, view different types of, of content inside QuickTime. So if you're having trouble with, with anything, you, know, you mentioned you didn't know that you had any extra plugins installed. I've been in the same boat and told people, no, I don't think I have anything. And then it's, oh, yeah, that's right. I've got Perry in the mm. background. So, so anyway, I, I throw that out there just in case you're ever, ever having trouble. And I like your answer for this, John, because it will get you the best quality. It'll get you raw. You know, whatever the quality is on the web, that's the quality you're getting because you're getting the mm. digital copy. If, however, uh, there were no way of doing this or they blocked this somehow, my feeling is if I can see or hear it on my computer, I should be able to capture it. And in fact, there is software to do just that. Uh, For video, I use Snaps 10 Pro from Ambrosia. Excellent. Love those guys. I always use them for mostly for screen snapshots, but also they have a movie feature, which they introduced uh, quite a while ago. Yeah, right. So you draw a little thing. And, you know, you draw a little box around what you want to capture or you can capture the whole screen. You set some parameters and you say go and then boom, it just captures it. You can have it capture the audio. You can have it not capture the audio. But uh, but whatever it you know, but you're doing a screen grab, essentially, an, you know, a, a movie screen grab. So if you're seeing it on the screen, Snaps Pro can capture it. Uh, you know, I, I haven't found anything it can't. On the audio side, certainly Snaps Pro can do it because it's doing it with the movies. But I, I, I turn to Audio Hijack Pro uh, by Rogue Amoeba for, for doing just audio. Uh, and for the same reason, you know, if you want to capture audio from Safari, it, it was funny because, you know, we used Audio Hijack Pro to do the podcast. And, and you know, I'm using it constantly. I, ta- I turn to it for everything. It was about, I don't know, two years ago. Somebody sent me a web page and it had some, you know, audio on it that I wanted to keep. I'm like, oh, man, how would you do it? It was Paul Kent, actually. And, uh, and he's like, dude, just use Audio Hijack. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. He's like, well, aren't you the one that told me about that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, never mind. I'll, I got it. I got it. So, it, you know, yet another use for any of these. So we've now talked about three Swiss Army Knife apps, right? Perry and mm. uh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, 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 the Snaps 10 Pro and Audio Hijack Pro. And now I just looked here at the video file, Dave. So I do not believe there's a weird dependency. Because when I uh, took the video that it saved and I did a get info on it in the yep. more info section of the finder, get info uh, gives the dimensions. And then it says codex H.264, comma, AAC. So perfect. So to me, this is a self-contained movie that he should be able to play in quick time on or iPod. shuffle it around to, to anything. So yeah. um, but I, I'd like yours, to, especially the Snaps Pro one. I, I, you know, I've actually done that sometimes when I've had a graphic. Yeah, that. For some reason, if I try to resize it or scale it in a program and it doesn't do it properly, is um, sometimes I'll, I'll use another feature, like you know maybe change the the, the display uh, size, like uh, and then I'll take a screen snapshot with Snaps Pro. There you go. So, anyways, you and I both love Snaps. I, I use it for all all the screenshots I do for all the articles that I write. I, right. uh, so it's worth throwing out here while we're talking about Snaps. 
Um, Skitch is another great screen grab utility. Mm. I don't believe it does video. I've never used it for video. Uh, I could be surprised and find out that it does. But Skitch is uh, is fantastic for screen grabs as well. So mm. throw that out there. All right. Uh, we have a couple of follow ups uh, for. We didn't want to do another one. No, well, we got. We, I want to get through these follow-ups here. And we, yes, well, they're good. Time. Yeah, they're useful. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, let's let's let Tom take the first one. Hey, John and Dave, Tom from Escondido. I was listening to your uh, episode where you're discussing the options for uh, installing boot camp and an external drive uh, with Windows when there wasn't enough room. And uh, there was another option I thought of, which was just install Windows on the internal drive and install the Mac OS on the external drive and hold down the option key when you boot up and you'll get your your choice. There's no reason, no necessary reason, I believe, to have the Mac OS on the internal drive necessarily. Uh, that's just another option. You can cut me off here. Cool. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, that's a pretty obvious um, one. It the only work. reason is if you happen to lose your external drive and you're stuck <laughs> right. with a Mac that's running Windows, which... <laughs> That's good. That's a good point. Yeah, I wouldn't do it on a portable machine, uh, but, mm. you know, yeah. yeah. Yes. And then coming up and then next we have our very humble friend. That's right. No, Scott sends a lot of stuff in and and so much of it goes on for so long because he is so detailed uh, that it just simply mm-hmm. doesn't make sense to play in the show. But this, especially about those seemingly cryptic error messages, is just yes. too good to pass up. So thank mm-hmm. you, Scott. Here, here he goes. Hi, John and Dave. I'm, this is Scott from D.C., uh, Unix guru. I'm calling you about MacGeekab number 270. The first question about the error code 8, negative 8003. First of all, the, what you're looking at is a holdover from a very old issue, old problem with Unix. Let's start with the error code. 8,000, it's not 8,000, it's hexadecimal 8003, which is a 16-bit number, which means that the sign bit is turned on. So what ends up happening is somewhere along the line, somebody played around with it and said, oh, look, negative number, and stuck a negative sign in front of it and forgot to mask off the other bit. Okay, Arino 3, which is the rest of it, happens to stand for, and I just lost my note in front of me, there it is, uh, no such process, which means that no such process could be found with a corresponding process ID, which happens when you are deleting files to not an active file, because if a file is open under Unix, it just gets unlinked from the file system, but the the inode, which is the underlining information on the file system, gets stays there. Even if the file is locked, you can still unlink the file, but you can't close it. There's a number of, of issues. What you have there is not a process that has it, but a driver that has it. Now, when you're using something like VMware, there are loadable modules that VMware does put on the system and does load on boot. And if you do the command V when you start up and look carefully, or you can probably read it in the console boot log, that you'll see a number of modules that will that will start up. What was deleted was more than likely a file that was used, being used by one of these modules. 
when you shut down and rebooted, the modules weren't loaded because they didn't exist anymore. So therefore, nothing had it. This is, this is the cause of the operating system. It is very difficult sometimes for the operating system to diagnose these particular problems and hand this information back up to the UI because, quite frankly, they're not that usual. This is a systems-level problem, a systems-level issue when you're dealing with the VM software, VMware parallels. You are dealing with system-level hooks in order to make it run. So, basically, what it's saying is, is it went to try to f figure out how to be able to delete that file from an operating system level, but... It really wasn't the process holding on to the file. It was one of these loadable modules, and therefore, you confused the living daylights out of it. That's what you got. This is Scott from D.C., Unix Guru, finding out. Thank you, Scott. That was, uh, that was helpful and, and, and informative. Uh, very interesting. Hadn't thought about it in that, in that way, obviously, but, uh, but he's totally right. And and it, and it makes sense, right? These loadable modules. It, it, it what's the OS going to tell you? What's the what you know? Even if it could figure it out, what's it going to tell you, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to tell you to reboot. Is what it's going to do. Uh, you know, and here's the fun. So I was, you know, and this was swirling around the back of my mind. Well, well, not when we got this problem initially. I I had not even thought that the high bit being set in a 16 bit word would add that eight or the negative thing. It was like. Uh, Right. But anyways, but the three that he mentions now that did bring up a, a, a distant memory when I, I some I mean I'm certainly not at the level of Scott as far as Unix knowledge, but I did find the file that has these defined. Really? Um, yes, I did. It's Where called Erno E R R N O dot H. Oh right, which is one of these header files. So so if you write C code, which I'm going to guess that the you know the, a lot of this low level stuff is written in C. This is a, a file that, um, anyways, a .h file is, a, at least in C programming, is a header file, and that's what you include with your code, and it defines a lot of variables, and it sounds like you're typing to find this now, Dave, and you'll find it all over the place, so it's yeah. E-R-R-N-O.h, yeah. and hey, if you look in this file, it'll have a line here saying define E-S-R-C-H, three, no such process. Unfortunately, the person that wrote this put comments in here defining what each of these numbers mean, because to me, e -R e -S -R -C -H doesn't mean a heck of a lot to me, nor do many of these other ones. Huh. But basically, these are so, so what it is, is these are kind of obscure standard Unix errors. And I guess people will typically include this file. And I guess it's shared among different versions of Unix. Of course, you know, Mac OS X is a version of Unix. So. Um, so, you know, this may be, if you're running into an obscure error message that has the format uh, that Scott mentioned, either a single digit or one that begins with 8,000, heck, you know, try, try to look, uh, I mean, I'm seeing others in here, you know, file exists, device busy, bad address, access denied, can I, uh, all sorts of very low level, as he pointed out, very low level, you know, kind of disastrous system level things that you, you, you would hope to never run into. But sure. I did find it, E-R-R-N-O.H, look it up, it's uh uh, yeah, maybe it, it may not mean a lot to to a lot of people. <laughs> no, but it, but it, but some of them might, and and there you go. So, cool, awesome. All right, uh, it is time to wrap this one up. So we are going to be on a brief, well, maybe not so brief hiatus. I am on vacation next week, 
which means we won't be recording any shows. We are doing one more show this week. On Friday, we will release a uh, uh, a premium show. Uh, but this will be the last of the sponsored episodes before my return. Now, uh, I'm returning on Monday the 19th, I think. But uh, there's going to be a, a small little meetup on Monday the 19th. John, you and I are going to meet in, uh, well, somewhere near Ledyard, Connecticut. I forget what town it is. But we're wow, meeting what's at happening Mo- there, Dave? We're meeting at Mohegan Sun. Well, because you and I, we like to meet. Oh, and we might wind up going to a Rush concert that night. <laughs> what a rush! <laughs> uh, so I, we we talked about doing a little tweet up for this, uh, you know, a little meet up for the Mac Geek Cab. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'll we'll, uh, we'll tweet something out once we're there, and uh, and it would be great to meet up with uh, with any of you that are going. I know some of you said you were, so this is the I think it's oh, the nineteenth, nice. right, John? Is that is that right? Monday. Uh, it's a Monday. Yeah, yeah it's that Monday, uh, July. I think it's July nineteenth. Yeah, it's July nineteenth at Mo- Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. So. Uh, if you live close, even if you're not going to the show, come on out. We'll uh, we'll have a drink and, uh, and whatever it is that we'll do before the uh, before the show. And if you're going to follow us on Twitter to back us into the uh, the contact information portion of the outro here. You can follow me at Dave Hamilton. You can follow John at John F. Braun. You can follow Mac Geek Gab at Mac Geek Gab. And uh, you can follow uh, Pilot Pete at Pilot Pete. You can file Mac Observer at uh, Mac Observer. Anything else wow. I'm missing there? It makes Dan? so much sense. It does. And, and so, Dave, you know, if you wanted to, uh, talking about contact info, if you wanted to call us, Dave, yeah. to, to just say hello, then don't just call and say hello. I mean, well, you, you can could. if you want. Uh, yeah, and some people have. But, but if you want to call us and, uh, and, and you know, submit a question or... or you know, ask us about the mysteries of life or something like that. I would call us, Dave, at 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. And then you can email us at feedback at macgeekgab.com. And I'm almost positive, Dave, you said feedback at macgeekgab.com, and the music just stopped. I, I did. That's sort of weird that the music just stopped and just started again. It just loops. But, but that was yeah. feedback at macgeekgab.com, Dave. Uh, that's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Unless you're a premium subscriber, which, of course, we appreciate. Uh, and, and we encourage you to join us there. Uh, and that's then it's premium at MacGeekGab.com. And I believe that covers uh, most, if not all, of the contact information. Uh, Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast is uh, the one that converts this to AAC for us and for you. Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth. The podcast marketplace is, this month, includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebone Software, Text Expander, and Text Expander Touch from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and Gazelle.com with their Mac Geek coupon code for a 5% bonus. All that through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And John, I think that's, uh, I think that's it. That's where we get out of here, right? Have a uh, have a great week, folks. If you don't hear from us before we leave, uh, hopefully John and I will have opportunity to record a podcast on the nineteenth and release it. Hopefully that day, hotel bandwidth permitting. But mm. uh, but otherwise, uh, uh, it'll be later that week. So there you have it. Got anything th- thing to say to him, John? Before we, uh, or or to me, or anybody? Before we, the go? only thing I could think of, Dave, is uh, you shouldn't get caught. Made up.